Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Rachel Stevens. Beyonce, a.k.a. Queen Bee, released her latest album. It's called Renaissance, and it's her first solo record since Lemonade in 2016. Beyonce is Beyonce. For so many people, she can do no wrong. Still, her latest release generated some controversial opinions. I talked about the buzz behind Renaissance with fellow fans from the Beehive. That includes KXP DJs Larry Mizell Jr. and Stas the Boss, as well as KOW's arts and culture reporter Mike Davis. We started by sharing our first memories of Beyonce. First memory of Beyonce is legit. Uh, TRL. Uh, I think it was like Bills, Bills, Bills is what I like specifically remember singing at like age 12. Like I had any idea what Bills were, but um, Destiny's Child was a big part of my childhood. And when I found out they were from Texas, I'm from Texas, I was like, yes. That's my first Bay memory. Mike? I would say, obviously, my first memory of Beyonce is Destiny's Child, but my first significant memory was was Crazy in Love, because that's when I decided that I was going to grow up and marry Beyonce. So that <laughs> definitely sticks out in my mind, is that Crazy in Love, that video. My goodness, uh, middle school Mike, whew, she, she had me in a place. Love it. Larry? My first memory of Beyonce would be Destiny's Child, and it would be the No, No, No remix video with Wyclef. I just remember Wyclef strumming the guitar. I want to say Beyonce was on a swing, like in slow motion or something. And I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> this song just took on a, a, a new meaning for me. So, yeah, that was definitely a, the first time I got awakened to our Lord and Master, Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce also from the No 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 music video, but I think it was the the original, like the slow version. And I was in love instantly. I knew she was going to be the breakout star. I do love Kelly also, but it definitely is Beyonce all day. Renaissance came out last week. It leaked before. A lot of people got it that way. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of like the the beehive waited. And just recently, 
Pitchfork gave it a nine out of 10, which is like unheard of. Their most used rating is a seven. I feel like every time I check on albums that I love, it's like 6.2, 6.0. And then this one, I was like crossing my fingers. It was a full on nine. Really excited about that. Mike, tell me about this. Like, do you agree with this rating? How do you feel about this? And, uh, and just as somebody who reviews music, what do you think about this? Well, like you, I think that, you know, seeing the number nine was kind of like, whoa, but I don't think that I could argue against it. And I know that this question is going to kind of come up again, but, you know, I always look at music as a reflection of society, like what's happening outside of that artist. That's part of my critique on certain contemporary artists. But as far as this particular album with Beyonce, this is the album that we need right now, as the CDC is saying to hell with COVID restrictions and guidelines. Everybody's back at work. Um, everybody's back in the studio. Everybody's going back to the club. This is the album that we needed to usher us back into life around other people. And then when you listen to the music itself, song after song after song, it, it's dance music, it's feel good music. There ain't no breakup, there ain't no hate, there ain't no sadness. This is just joy, pure black joy. And she put on for the black community, she put on for the queer community, she put on for, for everybody who's been stuck in the house that wants to get out, shake a little something, have a little fun. So, I mean, how could this not be a nine? If any album, this is it. There were no skips. Like, <laughs> there was no skips. The way that the transitions and the sequencing happened, it feels like a DJ was responsible for that. It was seamless. So I, I do think it's a concept and idea that you're not supposed to skip. You're just supposed to put the thing on and let it run. I got a friend that was lucky enough to see Beyonce live. I myself have not yet. Uh, when this tour comes to Seattle, I don't care what it costs. I, I'll pay that to see this. But the interpretation that I stole from them was this sounded like it was made for the stage. It was made for a performance. Like they could just see, you know, she's going to come and do something crazy. And from what I've heard, you know, she's literally walked on water at her performances. So I'm just excited to see what we're going to get when this tour finally comes. Unique. That's what you are. Stilettos kicking vintage crystal off the bar. Category bad. I'm the bar. Alien superstar. Whip, whip. Let's talk a little bit more about how this album was made. Songwriter Diane Warren tweeted about Beyonce's song Alien Superstar and asked how one song could have 24 writers on it. And I feel like this is something that we keep hearing about like rap music uh, specifically, about black music specifically, of like, how come they have so many, so many people, so many writers? Larry, tell me a little bit about what you think about this and what do you think about all the writers slash contributors on, on this new album? Uh, one, I think it's a really good point to point out that kind of like commentary. This is a very rockist kind of thing of like, why are there so many songwriters on here? And it's just like, there should have been more songwriters on the joints that you think are canon, like the Beatles. There should have been a lot more songwriters credited on that. 
understand hip hop and R&B understands that music is building upon the shoulders of the people that came before you. It's comes from a sample culture, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's reverent of what came before. So, and it's highly collaborative, extremely so. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I am blown away by the litany of legends that are represented on this record. You got now Rogers, you got Raphael Sadiq, uh, interpolations of like Giorgio Moroder, all kinds of stuff. And I mean, just, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. I can't even imagine the machine that puts together a collaboration like this record. Uh, so I think it's a real testament to how they work and how they put something together because it doesn't sound crazy or sterile. There was stuff, I think, I feel like there's stuff that like Kanye did in the past that had a lot of songwriters and people on it. And it sounded crazy to me. It sounded kind of like styrofoam. This sounds super organic, lush, deep, all the good stuff. I'm 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 all the way with it. Well, speaking of Kanye, you know what this made me think of is that the what was it, the MTV Music Awards where Beck won Best Album and and um and Beyonce had just done that digital drop, that surprise album that she released. And you know, Beck gets on stage to accept his award and Kanye jumps up there and says, Beyonce released one of the best, you know, she was like, Why do you keep doing this? And you know, the backlash that came from music critics is that like Beck wrote every single one of his songs, you know, like he was the only person. And then, uh, and that Beyonce didn't write all of her songs or had collaborators on all of that. Stas, Mike, do you guys have anything? Do you remember this? Do you like, does this feel like a hearkening back to that? It does. It just feels like, it just feels like an attack on our culture. I think that that's the only way that I looked at it. I feel like similar to what Larry said, like we pay homage to those who came before us. And I think it's interesting too with Beyonce. I mean, first of all, if you go look at Lemonade, if I remember correctly, there was like over 70 writers that were credited. So my first thought on this one was, man, I bet, I bet she goes for the for the haunted piece. <laughs> but it is not like all of those writers write. And I think that when you look at Kanye, sometimes why it sounds like that is because he really will have a million contributors in the room. Beyonce doesn't have a million people in the room. It's just that every piece that she borrowed from, everything that she sampled from, everybody that wrote on that has to be credited. So when you have folks from white culture coming in and making those type of statements, like they know what's going on. They understand that Beyonce didn't actually have 26 people sitting down with the pen. Like, you know, so like don't attack our culture for no reason. And don't try to shame us because we care about those who came before us enough to actually tip our hats and say, like, this is what we built upon. And tip our pockets, too, you know? Now it's getting to check, like, like all these, like, legends that are credited on there. They're getting a little piece. They're broken off from Beyonce's pockets. Yeah, that's significant. So, you know, you got to appreciate her wanting to, to give back as well. I have to say, like, it kind of goes deep, too. Like, it's not just, like, Black culture. Like, the amount of, like drag culture she had on here the amount of like ballroom like the hearkenings to like paris is burning bringing in big frida on the big single on this like it is it's really cool and it's not something that feels performative at all it feels like she made these intentional decisions to make this kind of thing for sure i just want to push back on that because all of that is black culture as well but 
yes, I totally agree. She did it in a way that is super organic and super uh, reverent and loving. It didn't feel like she was kind of colonizing it, like say Madonna did back in the day, or you know, a ton of people who've who've kind of tried to dress themselves up in in, in whatever they think is going to to work. Two months we've had Lizzo come out with an album we've had uh, Beyonce come out with this album and then two things happen with both those albums where they changed the lyrics soon after because of an ableist slur that was used in there which was the word spaz on Renaissance this is a word that was used in, in the track Heated her publicist told NPR that they're going to change the lyric. I didn't know that the spaz was a slur, but like, it's not even my place to say what it what is or not, because I don't come from that community. So, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a valid point. I think it's a fascinating precedent because usually these conversations around words that we don't use anymore are from a very U.S. centric viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, we're having, we're seeing real traction and relevance given to complaints around that from outside of the u.s i think that's that is noteworthy in itself and yeah i was surprised to hear that when i first heard about the lizzo thing i i was born in the 70s i remember in the early 80s spaz dweeb dork all of these were the same kind of word you know what i'm saying so spaz has been around forever method man said spazola nerd said spaz if you want to like spaz has been around forever has a very different meaning to black americans uh, and probably lots of white Americans and probably lots of Americans in general. Um, but if it is thought to be a slur uh, in a community, then, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being sensitive to that. So I'm not mad at at them tweaking that. I just think it's very interesting. One, that it's from outside the U.S. And two, that we live in an age where an album can come out and be be tweaked yeah. after it's been released. Isn't that crazy though? This is that this is that new age. I don't want to get in hot water here. I've been here before. I talked about this before uh, when it happened to Lizzo. I just felt like it was a real two Americas situation. Um, mm. I just I grew up very very hip hop, and when somebody was to quote unquote spaz on a track, that meant you better go listen to that verse immediately because somebody just went in and killed it. Um, I understand, you know, cultures change, and yes, you know, look artist has a choice and if as an artist you want to to make that choice then i'm with you it's not going to change the song itself but i i just always feel protective of our culture i think that for some of the reasons that you said before on how sometimes people on the outside looking in how they talk about what we do how they judge our music i just never feel good about outsiders coming in but again it's on the artist to make their decision ultimately it makes me wonder like what artists are putting in songs now that we will look at differently later. I use the word tweaker a lot. Beyonce in this album uses tweaker, tweak. And I wonder if that's going to be something that we're like, hey, maybe we shouldn't make fun of addicts, you know, like, or, you know, maybe we shouldn't like be pointing to that at some point. See, this is where I get in trouble. That's a great point. 
And, and to that, I would say, when you look at tweaker and you look at who the tweaker is and what they look like, because our society had no problem making fun of crackheads because crackheads was black. Mm. So everybody in all pop culture got to make fun of crackheads all they want. But if we look at, you know, this opioid crisis and how we look at them or you look at tweakers and methamphetamines and who the face of that is, it's white folks. So I wouldn't be surprised if they came for tweaker next and told us that we can't say it. Yeah, it's that's so funny you had mentioned that too, Rachel, because literally this morning listening to Renaissance, I was thinking about that in <clears throat> reference to the slur because then I heard her say tweaker and I was like, is the crystal meth community going to stand up and say, and say, hey, that's enough. We've had enough. And yeah, I Mike, really, really, really great points because I don't think we've ever heard any pushback on crackhead or smoke crack or there's all sorts of stuff of that. I mean, and that has been yeah. a real part of the life of uh uh in in my family and lots of people so it's like i got trauma around that stuff but you know it is what it is it's a word to me but you know that's where i'm from so whatever the only thing that i'm sad about this album is that i don't get a video experience for every single one you know like i was like ready to sit at my computer lemonade style and watch her bust some shit up but i think that this album is wonderful and it sounds like y'all do too i want to ask you like each of you why this album is important stas do you want to go first like why do you think this album is important right now it's important uh, for queer folks, we've been like loving Beyonce nonstop since the beginning. And the fact that she put a Mike Q track on there and then this honey, like, and then it's all like kind of like dance, like house forward and, and Afrobeats. Like, it's so important to us, to, to queer folks, you know, that she's like, hey, I love y'all. She gave a tribute to her, to her uncle, you know, who had passed away from AIDS and uh, was queer. Um, so I thought that was really dope. Also, the, the church girl song and her connecting back to her, her gospel roots and flipping it and making it like a, a twerk song like that was brilliant and something that, you know, a church girl like me could really resonate with. Larry, why is this album important right now? I think it's important for all the reasons Stas just stated, um, because I think it's on time, extremely so for all the reasons that Mike stated earlier. I think it's really important because it advances in the top level of uh, mainstream pop culture and understanding of dance music, because I feel like we had a really dumb conversation about dance music when the Drake album came out and people were acting super brand new, like people haven't been mixing house into stuff for for a minute so i feel like this kind of cleared all of that out and people can't act like whoa what is this you just techno now like man we're what have we been doing this whole time yo music has been advancing and changing and mutating this whole time so i think this is a real like stamp on it it's the beyonce it's the new beyonce album it takes over everything so you know She's like, she's the new Dr. Dre. You know how Dre used to drop and then everything would change? That's Beyonce now. So I think this is a real, real important statement. Nice. Mike, you talked a little bit about why this is important. Now, I'm going to ask you why this album is important, period. I mean, for everything that those two just said, but I mean, 
Beyonce is so good at this. Like, I, I don't even know where else to go besides just the brilliance of Beyonce. And just to touch on Larry's point, Drake made a record that sucked. And it wasn't <laughs> because of the type of music. It was just because Drake wasn't really good enough to pull it off. Like, he, he, he can't sing. So for him to give us that much singing is like, you know, your vocals are terrible. The range of Beyonce vocally is just immaculate. And then she could step over and start rapping and then she's going to give you bars. And then she's doing this beautiful ode to so much music. I mean, you got techno, you got disco, you got house, you got bounce, you got Afrobeats, you got all of these pieces that she put together in just an extremely fun and digestible album that we needed here and now and today this is why she's the greatest this is why she's on top this is why when drake dropped his we were like what is that and when she dropped hers we were amazed it's because she's beyonce okay i know this is a concept album so it's meant to be listened straight through everybody leave us with your favorite track or your recommended listening sauce America has a problem. That one, whoo, that retro electro. Jesus Christ, that is it's my number one for right now. It's gonna change, but that's the one. Larry? I'm a cancer, but I'm gonna say Virgo's groove right now. Uh... I'm gonna say thick. Play it in the car. Turn them speakers up. That's that thick. That's that real thick. That's that jelly, baby. Champagne and cherry, baby. That's that thick. That's that ball drop. That's that keep going. That's that never stop. That's that thick. Well, thank y'all so much for being here. Thank you, Stassi Boss. Thank you, Larry Mizell Jr. Thank you so much, Mike Davis from KUOW. I have truly, truly loved this conversation and let's do it again sometime. And let's not wait till the next Beyonce album. See ya. Peace, y'all. Peace. That was our roundtable discussion of Beyonce's newest album, Renaissance, which is out now. You heard from KXP DJ's Larry Mizell Jr., Stassi Boss, as well as KOW's arts and cultural reporter Mike Davis. That's that jelly baby. That's that really baby. That's that That was the Sound and Vision podcast for KEXP. My name is Rachel Stevens. And hey, if you like Beyonce, rate and review this podcast. Easy as that. Thanks a lot. <laughs>